Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. It's only natural to compare ourselves to other people, uh, consciously or unconsciously. We do it all the time. We know that no matter how rich or good-looking we are, there are people richer and better-looking than us. When it comes to smart, though, most of us think we're as intelligent as anyone else. After all, there's not huge differences in IQs, and we all have access to the, to the same information. Then you meet a guy like Alex Reed from Advanced Polymer Monitoring Technologies, and you might have to rethink your position. If you're smarter than me, you might already know that a polymer is a long-chain molecule that is found in just about everything, including plastics, rubber, and paint, and in just about every product you can imagine, products from the clothes you're wearing to your car, the computer, your cell phone, at Advanced Polymer Monitoring Technologies, they don't make polymers. They make the hardware and software that help people who make polymers. Alex Reed is the president and CEO of the company. Alex, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. No matter how smart you are, how great your idea is for a business, you only have a limited number of ways of communicating that to the world. Basically, you're restricted to words and pictures. In the last few years, thanks to polymers and cell phones, we've all become photographers. However, if you have a business and you're looking to kick up your photography a notch above your iPhone photo on Instagram, you could call Gigsy. Gigsy is not your traditional lone photographer. It's a team of photographic professionals who work together to produce a range of stills and video for business. The founder and CEO of Gigsy is Rob Warren. Rob. Welcome out to lunch. Thanks so much, Peter. Alex, your company has grown out of advanced technological research that was carried out at Tulane University. Uh, getting research out of colleges and into commerce is a whole science and a business unto itself. Can you lead us through how you got to be working in this field at Tulane and how you got this technology out of the lab and into business? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Peter. Um, commercialization of technology is indeed a very uh, studied topic, you know, how to do that properly. You look at places like Stanford, MIT, who've done it very well. Um, and so what we've done is we had a basis for intellectual property that we developed at Tulane and a lot of foundational research that was funded by a lot of companies interested in what we were doing. Uh, so we had a natural segue going from the lab to, okay, now we've done the research, what if we build you a product? Uh, and so in that segue, we were able to uh, work with companies. And in fact, our first uh, deployment of our technology was in partnership with a customer. Uh, so that was the natural segue to commerce was we've always targeted what we've done from the research to add value to where it would end up uh, as a product. And, and how, who owns it? Who owns the technology? So w when you're at a university, uh, you, 
as a faculty yes. member. By the way, where are you <laughs> in the university? I've never seen you. I've been there for 30 so, years. So uh, actually, I, I took some classes at, at the business school. Okay, good. All uh, right. But I didn't have your. But class, where do you do all this, by the way? Is it uptown? This was at the. This is physics department uptown campus. Yeah. And so, as a faculty member or staff member, uh, the university actually owns the intellectual property you generate. Uh, so if you're doing research in a lab, Tulane owns that IP. And uh, what they have to do, or what you have to do when you start a company is then license those patents from the university to then take them into the company and commercialize them. Um, and just a little aside, uh, when you mentioned the introduction, how smart I was and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was only smart enough to find smarter people than me. Oh, that's uh, one of the great <laughs> gifts, really. And actually, I'll have to say this. Because you were an economics Latin American exactly. studies major, So this right? is nothing related to polymers, right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so the history behind that is... We'll rewrite the opening. That's yeah, fine, Rob. No, no, that's yes, fine. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I liked hearing it, so you can keep it in. <laughs> uh, so the, the, uh, the background there is my father is a physics professor at Tulane. He's tenured faculty. He's been there since the mid-'80s, maybe wow, as long as you. Time thing, yeah. And um, so he's the one who invented all the technologies, had all the work with the companies, and I literally, since the age of 12, grew up working in the lab, uh, worked with the technology and said, hey, this is great stuff. What if we could turn it into a business? So I, I, I shifted from the science side to let's, let's do something commercial with and it. And Alex, let's back up something. When you said those companies invested in it, uh, what are they investing in? Do they want, uh, they want this software and hardware? So, so at that stage, when companies, I would say they, they, weren't in, they were funding research. So these were uh, chemical or pharmaceutical companies that funded work at the lab at Tulane. Uh, and they were interested in what the what information we could give them about their products using our, our technology. Uh, so at that point, it was just results. That's what they were funding for. And I assume your customers are these chemical plants up and down the river? Uh, a lot, a lot of the, the chemical industry is yeah. indeed a potential customer of our company. And our first installation was in, uh, up in you know, 45 minutes from, from the city. So. Now, Rob, as I mentioned earlier, these days we're all photographers. We're shooting more photos than at any time in history, and we're watching literally billions of hours of video every day. Many people in business feel that if they can cut a cost here and there, they're going to do it. Because after all, their neighbor's 12-year-old son can come and take photos for them for 20 bucks. What does your company, Gigzy, do for businesses that that 12-year-old kid can't? And how do you convince clients of that? That's a great question, Peter. Uh, Really what we do differently is we're leveraging the power of teams. So we're working with larger organizations uh, on the order of your, your two lanes, your large nonprofits like your youth run NOLAs who are having recurring events. The kind of things where they almost need a photographer on staff and they need that consistency. So we're providing that consistency because we have a wealth of talent to draw from. And then we have other markets that we can tap into like your conference market. If you have 10,000 people coming to the city of New Orleans, you'd have one very busy photographer running around trying to, to produce imagery for all that. So we can actually uh, activate a team. We and can bring in- how do you get in. this team? How do, they, how do they sign up to be part of it, or how does that work? That's a great question, too. Uh, there's a couple of different ways to go about it. We're, we're a small company and we're growing, so we're still playing around with what makes sense for us in terms of the economics of our business. But one thing that was super important to myself and uh, my, my business partner was that we were providing some sort of value in education to the city. What brought me to New Orleans was education in 2011 uh, to actually teach on the West Bank. You I was were a, a ninth a grade English America teacher. guy, right? That's the case, yeah. I think we have had right. so many amazing people that came through that. Yeah. We, the whole city owns, owes that group a 
really debt of gratitude. That is it, something. It planted an staying. incredible <laughs> seed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it planted an incredible seed. It wasn't the case where uh, I knew that I wanted to be a career teacher, but what I learned was that I really cared about the city. I really cared about driving value back to a city that I learned to love and young people. So when we started the company, we knew we always wanted an educational piece in there. So we actually built in an apprenticeship. So that's late what high I've read. Now you've got yeah. your team might be um, professionals, educators, and interns all together. Is that to think about? Precisely. So we we have a cohort of currently six young people selected out of 30 applicants who come to us with drive and basic interest. So we we require no sort of camera skill or any sort of professional background. And what we're doing is we're essentially capacitating them to serve as secondary shooters with our pros, and then eventually full-time shooters with us. Now, how affordable is this for a business? I mean, it's got to be cheaper than having like a full-time photographer on staff, right? It's You'd be surprised. <laughs> 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 it's hurting cats sometimes. Uh, we're talking about six uh, late high school, early college age uh, youth who still need to, be, who need to be managed. So we're teaching them twice a week. We've got them in classes uh, for two hours at a time. And then we're bringing them out to gigs where we can't just send them out to go shoot and use them as cheap labor. You know, we're actively invested in, in not just teaching them the, the artistry, but also the business side of things and providing that steady labor. Well, let me ask you this. I've, I speak at a lot of conventions. This is the only one I can really relate to here is that your convention has 10,000 people coming in town. Do they sit down with you and tell you exactly what they want to come back? Or do you, do you have some artistic license here? It's a conversation. And it, it always starts with asking what is their brand identity? What's the story? What's the conference actually trying to share? So sometimes they're trying to direct a lot of value back to uh, a specific focus for funders. Sometimes they're trying to direct it back to attendees. So we always open up conversations with folks trying to figure out what is it that's going to generate the most value for them. And you could actually at the end offer them multiple things, uh, uh, maybe a video, uh, packages, stills, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, end products, I guess. That's the case. So sometimes folks come and they, they look for a simple video and we have a number of conversations with them and we can quickly find out, like, listen, what, what your goals are trying to produce is a basic video is not going to work out. If you really want to go reach folks through Facebook or Instagram, uh, the sort of cost-benefit analysis means that you should probably produce more photography because that has a longer lifespan. You can recycle photography much more actively than you can recycle videography. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. My guests are Rob Warren from the photography startup Gigzy and Alex Reed from a science-based business called Advanced Polymer Monitoring Technologies. Alex, um, can polymer tech use social media? Have you thought of that? Or? Well, a lot of the companies themselves use a lot of social media. Um, you know, recruiting, branding, right. you know, there's a lot of sustainability. Uh, that they're trying to promote and, and the way they do their chemistry. So yeah, I, I see from a uh, corporate identity yeah. perspective, you can use social media. And how do these companies find out about you? Uh, do you walk up and down the levee? This is the way I've <laughs> to Baton Rouge. I love <laughs> the Knocking visual on doors, here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> great. Uh, so typically, so historically, a lot of it was because we did all this work at Tulane, we would publish it and we'd present it at conferences. So there's a legacy of uh, people out there that knew what we were doing and, and have tracked our progress over the years. 
Uh, we also now we start we started doing more promoting. We started we use social media, we use email, we use all kinds of ways to get the word out. But it's a big world, uh, and you know to get it out you have to really push hard. So so where I'd find you, like I've been on chemical plant tours, and where I would probably find your products is not the plant itself, but the lab over to the side where people are. No, actually, no. we would be uh, just so you have a little visual of what we're doing is um, today a lot of them are uh, a lot of these manufacturers they pull sample from the process and go to a lab periodically to check what they're making so what we're able to do is to continuously measure the properties of those polymers during production so with this real-time data they're able to then make adjustments to operate more efficiently save money save resources um, and so that is going to actually be sitting in the plant next to where they're yeah, making everything. Yeah. How do yeah. folks know the value of what you're doing? Uh, so they know what they're doing in terms of, hey, we're measuring these things offline. So when you can say, hey, imagine if you could do this online, uh, the value is pretty clear. Uh, so making that connection of, okay, uh, if I had real-time information versus data once every two hours, uh, then I could actually have a, a better, tighter control of my process. But yeah. is, it, is it kind of an old industry? Is it a lot of, you're knocking on doors of folks that have been in it for 60, 70 years? Oh or? yeah, well, so a lot of the companies that exist, of course, have been in business for a long time. So, um, you know, there's very, very large companies like a Dow, for example, or, uh, you know, DuPont, which are now merging, obviously. Right. Uh, but, you know, those are just examples of companies that have been around 100 plus years. Uh, but there are newer companies, but because it costs so much money to build a plant, uh, a lot of these facilities are old. Some of them go back to World War II, uh, you know, making synthetic rubber for the war effort. Uh, some of the refineries go back even even earlier. So, um, yeah, they're they're very old, established industries. For they have to be. And to get your name off there. Sure. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't want to I'm just interested. No. <laughs> well, I got I got some for you too later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because you think you you think of like a Dow Chemical, you think of these large these large oil producing fields. You think about what's happening up and down the river, yeah. And it's it's a lot of the cornerstone of our economy. But folks, it's it's an out of sight, out of mind situation. And so, our, if it's the case that people can really understand what value is brought from these industries, it seems like that could oh. change a lot of the way that we relate to these industries. Oh, uh, thank you. That's great. I mean, yeah. So. <laughs> I, I, it's, it is out of sight, out of mind, unfortunately. And you know, these are the industries that are the lifeblood of modern society. You know, without these chemicals, without these products, we don't live the life we live. You know, we don't get on an airplane or have a, a computer. So, I mean, to see and, and hear someone like you say that, and these are good jobs. So a lot of these, these people can get a high school education and, and get a, a very well-paying job in these right. facilities. Um, and the next stage was is obviously um, innovating in these industries. So this is where my passion is, is okay, we have all this in our backyard. Between here and Texas, you know, basically a third of chemical products are produced for the country. Um, and so can you actually start to innovate in your own backyard as well? Why are we importing innovation in these industries from other parts of the country or the world? So that's, you know, if we have the assets here, let's build up the infrastructure to do innovation in petrochemicals in Louisiana. So you're like, that's my. <laughs> Are you yeah. helping to build that out of Tulane, you think, through that affiliation? Uh, I work with Tulane. I mean, I'm, I'm alum, I'm I was staff, and we're a spin out from Tulane. So yeah, we, are, we have a very close relationship with the university there. 
Uh, I work a lot with folks at LSU, at Texas A&M. Uh, you know, so there's, a, there's a, a group of us that's working to do that. Um, so yeah. Now, Rob, Alex, this is the part of the show we call Let Me Ask You This. I've got a list of 20 job interview questions here. Uh, these were dreamed up by HR specialists, mostly in Silicon Valley, to try and reveal people's creative and problem-solving abilities. I'm sure you have both hired people or have been on job interviews, so I'm going to ask you one of these questions each. Tell me what you think of the question and uh, how you might expect a candidate to answer it, and finally, how you'd answer it if you were asked. So, uh, all right, I'll start with uh, start with Rob. Give me a number uh, one to through 20. How about 17? 17, 17, 17, 17. It's, uh, <coughs> all right. Rob, what was the last gift you gave someone? Ooh, that's a good one, actually. Uh, we've, been, uh, I've, we've been buddies of the, the Innocence Project New Orleans, which is a local nonprofit right. that helps uh, exonerate the wrongfully accused. And the last gift we gave was actually a donation to their gala, their upcoming gala. So we've been donating a, a large print to them for the last three, four years so that they can auction it off and raise some money. Ah, and, what you, and you thought the question was good, right? Yeah. Okay, that kind of gets you thinking. And uh, is, is that what you want people to respond on? In other words, is there, um, uh, you want the person to tell you more than just what the gift was in this case, but kind of how sure. it relates to your, your business and your philosophy, I guess. It's a simple question, right? But yep. I think it, it's meant to probe whether somebody can readily come up with an answer in the first place. If they're going to sit there and have to remember back for 45 minutes about <laughs> whether they gave something and they go back to kindergarten and they once shared right, a truck. Right, I haven't given anything you know, in over 20 then, years. Then I'm you're like, in trouble. I'm just a uh, very bad person. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alex, what, a, what number would you like? <laughs> no, I'm not going to ask you the one how uh, many golf balls fit in right. 747. Well, you might, depending on what know? number you get. Uh, how about 11? 11. If you could trade places with any other person for a week, famous or not, living or dead, real or fictional, whom would it be? Well, uh, so George Patton, <laughs> General oh, wow. George S. Patton. And, and why? Uh, just the, the, the leadership skills that he had. You know, that's somebody that I read a lot of books about growing up, and, and uh, he actually had some interesting ideas about himself. So just to see what was in that brain would have been fascinating. That, that is, I'm assuming you were a rather rough manager then. I was uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I think that's where the lessons to be learned are. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. There's a, no, I was going to say, you'll be working by yourself here. <laughs> this, uh, the, uh, <laughs> oh, my. Well, that, well, that's good. That would be a good movie. I've got to ask you, Alex, also, that you've got such a narrow, narrow group of potential customers. You know, it's not like you can do an ad on TV and it's like, hi, I'm Alex. Do you need your polymers monitored? You know, it's a call that number on your screen. You, who, where do you go? Do you go to trade journals? Do you go to conferences? Um, and I guess in a business like this, are there early adopters and late adopters? I guess that would be the other question you need to. Yeah, uh, so early adopters are, are critical, obviously, to break into what Rob was alluding to earlier. It's an established business. Uh, someone's got to take the plunge and prove that it works. So we had an early adopter who installed our, our product and we've shown that it works and they purchased another system. Uh, and so using that information, uh, we're able then to go to trade journals 
uh, different conference. You'd be amazed at how specific some conferences are out there. You know, they'll be like the we definitely you know, know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> polyurethane manufacturers of you know the southeast you know, has a meeting. So uh, you got to find the meetings and and you know thank God for the internet because then you can actually do that much faster than it would be if you were going uh, to all these different meetings just to find them. So how about this, Alex? You're not an engineer, right? But you have to talk and sell to engineers all the time. That's got to be a challenge. Uh, well, I have a lot of engineers on the team. Okay, good. Uh, so if they ask you anything fancy. That's right. Uh, but I've also, I mean, you kind of learn what you, what is important to someone in a role like that. And most of the time, it's data. You know, this is a technical business, technical sale. It's not, you know, there's no smoke and mirrors that's going to that's gonna do it. You have to say, this is the performance we're going to deliver uh, in your process. And, and that's what is going to drive adoption. It's economics, very simple. In entrepreneurial circles, you hear the term thought leaders thrown around. It's one of those buzzword phrases like influencer that can apply to just about anybody with a Twitter account. But you two guys might give the term thought leaders some real meaning. You both have original ideas that you've turned into real world businesses. Although you're in very different fields, you're both adding to the total of the continued growth and diversification of the New Orleans economy. It's been great to meet you. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today and Out to Lunch. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Rob Warren, founder and CEO of Gigzy, and Alex Reed, president and CEO of Advanced Polymer Monitoring Technologies. You can find out more about Alex's polymers and Rob's pictures by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. The show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Matthew Ellison. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen, and at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, www.no.org and it's neworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and that's worth a few minutes, it really is, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp, 